0: I talked about the relational nature of the kingdom of God, that the operating system for the kingdom of God is not transactional, like business deals. A transactional operating system in the kingdom of God would look like this. You you go to God and you say, I just gave you 10 units of obedience. Now, I would like 10 units of blessing. That's a transactional. And by the way, that's the way the world works. That's entirely the way the world works. If you ever want to distill down into one sentence how the world works, it's this. What's in it for me? That's what makes the world go. And in the kingdom of God, it's not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for him and what's in it for the people around me. We live to be a blessing, not to receive for ourselves. And interestingly, when we refuse to receive for ourselves and we accept this new operating system we find for every blessing we give away we get two or three back it's absolutely unfair (laughs) it's not fair it's not transactional we go out and live for him and all of a sudden we find he's living for us and through us We (laughs) we give wholesale and he gives retail Spoken like a true transactional businessman, Phil. <laughs> so we looked at that. We looked at the nature of the operating system of, of God, which is relational. And that's because our God is a relationship. He doesn't value relationship. He's, he is a relationship. Isn't that interesting? Three in one. We looked at that. And that has huge implications for all of us in every way. God doesn't value relationship like it's nice to be nice. We ought to be nice because it's nice to be nice. He is a relationship and therefore the only, listen to me, he is a relationship, therefore the only way we're going to really understand him is through our relationships. First and foremost with him, Jesus said, your first relationship is vertical. It's between you and the Father, but the second one is horizontal. It's between you and everyone else. So you cannot fully know God in your own personal relationship with him. You will know him in his fullness in your relationship with others as well as your relationship with him. So it changes everything. Relationships aren't optional. My bank teller once said to me, I suggested to her in casual conversation while making a deposit that the meaning of life is found in relationships. And she said, no, it's not. Relationships are hard. People are difficult and they hurt you and disappoint you. She said people had hurt her and disappointed her, so from now on she would restrict herself to her husband and her kids. Many people feel this way. Relationships, why bother? Relationships, why bother? They're difficult, they're challenging, they're exhausting, they're frustrating. They're every bad word you can think of. They are. But they reveal to us the nature of God. And we can't fully know Him without being involved in relationships with one another. God tells us when we become a Christian, we we become a what? We become a... it's an open book exam guys it's an open we be who said it give that man 10 percent back on his tithe wait a minute i know gary he did he doesn't tithe okay never mind <laughs> 10 units you get 10 units of blessing because he answered it when we become a christian we've become a new creature but this begs a question what were we before what were we before we became a new, Christian, a new creature and what are we after? We ought to look at that. We ought to figure this out because this new creation thing is really huge. So what were you before you became a Christian? What was your identity before you became a Christian? You were an individual. You were an individual. You were unique, separate from each other. It is our separateness from other people. It is the sense of our uniqueness, which is our identity. And it is hugely important to us. We protect our individuality. We fight for our individuality. We brag about our individuality. We defend it. It's because we're born utterly and completely unique. And that sense of our uniqueness is what gives us a sense of self. It's who I am. I'm different than everybody else. But the problem is that very uniqueness is what causes us to strive to protect it and capitalize on it and distinguish ourselves from everybody else's uniqueness in the room. What's the? I I probably said this last week. I always say this. I'm tired of saying this. But I really want to say it again. What's the, what's the worst thing you can say about somebody? He's average. Eh, normal. This, what's the best thing you can say about somebody? He's special. He's one of a kind. She's one of a kind. She's unique. We even have expressions. He's a distinguished man. Do you know what the word distinguished means? It means separate from everybody else, distinct. This guy's distinguished. He's special. The best thing you can say about somebody, they're They're extraordinary. They're extraordinary. They're extraordinary. They're not average. They're not normal. They're above that. And inside of us, we hunger to hear that about ourselves. Because our uniqueness is what gives us our identity. That's what we were. Independent, unique, and separate, with a part of us that strives to maintain it and capitalize on it and advertise it, fame, special, unique, one-of-a-kind, extraordinary. That's who we were before we entered into the operating system of the kingdom of heaven, which is relational. So how do we define ourselves after? What does the new creature look like? How does the new creature operate? How does the new creature fit in the kingdom of God? Okay. Well, the Bible is helpful in answering these kinds of questions. Romans twelve five. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. Now, we can belong to a club, we can belong to an organization. And when we say we belong, what we really mean is that's where I go to church, I belong to that church. I belong to that club. I'm a member of that organization. We see it only as common interests, shared values, and therefore I'm part of that group. But that's not what the word belongs that's used in this passage means. It is amazing. It is a legal term that was used for rights. When it says you belong to one another, here's what it means. Everybody that you belong to has rights to you and you have rights to them. It's actually a legal term. You have a right in the new creation, in the operating system of the kingdom of God, you have a right for the love of the people around you, and they have a right for yours. It creates a new kind of community. It's not about our individuality. It's not about our independence. It's about our interdependence. We end up as new creatures needing one another. I need you and you need me. I will not be complete as a Christian without you. And you will not be unique and complete, excuse me, you will not be complete without my love. We're spiritually connected. We have rights of ownership to each other. It's the highest degree of connectedness. Guys, Without overstating it, this miracle of connection in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters is very similar to the connection in marriage. Two become one. Yes, they're still individuals. Yes, they're still unique. but they come and they form a new thing. They form a marriage. They form and then they have children and they form a family. Our connectedness in the body of Christ in the local church is to be very similar. It's a high degree of commitment. It's a high degree of connectedness. In a marriage, if the marriage is going to succeed, both parties have to stop thinking of themselves as individuals only. They need to recognize the existence of a new thing between them. A new thing was born by God. It's called a marriage. It's the joining of two people into one flesh. And if you go into a marriage and you continue to maintain the belief that you're just an individual having a relationship with this other person and there isn't something else that God's birthed in it, that marriage is not going to last because you misunderstand what marriage is. In many ways, marriage is the loss of self, not the destruction of it. But where the, you're not just you anymore. You're, new, you're you with somebody else and it creates a new thing. When we become part of the body of Christ, we are born into a new identity. It isn't just me anymore or you anymore. It's us as a family. We become literally brothers and sisters in God. We cannot see ourselves individually anymore. To do so is to miss out on everything God planned for us as a family. The Bible goes on to say, because of our connectedness, we share a common fate. With, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. This was, this was illustrated to me in the most difficult way early in my career as a pastor. She came from the street Involved in drugs and abuse and everything that you can think of. She came into our church utterly broken and through relationships and friendship, she was restored. And she found a wonderful man and they got they were going to get married. The whole church was happy because this is not just a victory for a transformation of an individual. This is watching a new creation being born. We're going to do a marriage tomorrow. So we did the rehearsal, the church, on Friday night. And it went really well. His father and mother flew out from eastern Canada, several thousand miles, to western Canada where we were and had a really wonderful uh, practice ceremony. And then Saturday morning before the wedding, early in the morning, I got a phone call from him, the groom. My father died in his sleep last night. What are we going to do? Should we cancel the wedding? Because we're mourning. We're, we're in grief. This is terrible. Your wedding day marked by the death of your father. This is what you're going to live with. Your, your, your perfect day is going to be associated with pain and loss. How do you go forward? How do you come to terms with that? I said, John, what would your father want? He said he would want us to do it. I said, then we're going to do it. We're going to rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're going to weep with those that weep. And it happens all in the same event. It's one of the most interesting schizophrenic experiences of my pastoral life, No, I mean schizophrenic in that this. And this this happens regularly in a church, you guys. Somebody's grieving the loss and somebody's having a baby. And you find in one phone call, you're in tears. And the next phone call, you're laughing. And I used to think, what's wrong with me? I'm psychotic. I mean, I'm bouncing from... Pain to happiness in the space of a phone call, what's wrong with me? And the Lord says, Nothing's wrong with you. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is life together. This is how it works. It's a degree of connectedness that's frankly supernatural, can't be obtained in any natural way. I just want to say this on the side this political statement. This country is tearing itself apart there's a very good chance it won't exist in its present form in the next 10 years. It's being destroyed by disunity. That's the enemy's tactic. It was the enemy's tactic. Read John 17. What does Jesus pray for protection for his people for? He doesn't pray against car accidents, poverty, disease, anything like that. He says one thing. Father, protect them from the evil one that they might be one As we are one. The principal tactic of the enemy is always division. And it's only in didn't have the country like the country is now, in my opinion. So look, this is so cool. The church in America, the true church, where the operating system is relational, not transactional the true church, is the only place in this country where diversity actually exists. It is the only place where people from absolutely different backgrounds, racially, socioeconomically, intellectually, culturally, whatever, can come together and be united and stand as one in their diversity around the Lord Jesus Christ we are the only hope for this country. We have to live, listen to me, we have to live as the example of how people from different cultures, different pasts, different countries, different languages, different skin color, different whatever, can come together and love one another in interdependence. And when the world sees that, they will say, that is not human. That's not humanly possible what those guys are doing. I used to think up until a year ago, and I still believe it, but not as fully as... I, I was committed, I was committed up until a year ago that the hope for this country would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in power so that power encounters would trump the lies in people's heads, would... would would. Overcome the lies in people's heads, would caught a drive by in the Holy Spirit. <sniffs> and you go, there must be a God. Wow, he's really good. And that that would be the thing that drew people in this country to Christ. I still believe that, but I'm not committed to it as the only way. Now I really believe if we simply just love one another and live the relational operating system of the kingdom of God, people are going to go, that is not humanly possible. What's going on there is the only hope for this country. Because we can stand together and love one another despite our past and our differences. Hello? Do you get it? <laughs> Guys, everything hinges on how well we love one another. There is no other solution. This is our birthright. This is our legacy. This is who we were designed to be. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those that mourn. And it is not a psychological effect of being a part of a group sharing like values. It is a spiritual work of God. Why, why is it so important? Why is our connectedness so important to God? First, it has to do with his nature. I've already said it. He is love, and he wants us to share his nature, which means we must love one another. That's what we're called for. It it's, comes firstly from who he is before it becomes who we are. He is love. He is a relationship. Therefore, our relationships are vitally important. He is a community of love. The Trinity is a community of love. And if we love one another, we share in his divine nature. If we love one another, we share in his divine nature. Listen to this. John 13, 35. Now you guys have heard this, but see it through this lens. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. What's the litmus test? What's the this? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if, if, do you realize that if is conditional? You understand that? It's implying a condition. The first is dependent on the second. Everyone will know you belong to me if you love one another. And the corollary, of course, is true. If you don't love one another, they will not know that you're mine your identity as a christian belong, your belonging to jesus is evidenced by your love for one another you can't separate the two john 17:20 jesus is praying to the father this is his last prayer And who does he intercede for? He intercedes for his disciples that are there with him in that moment, but he also says, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for everyone in the future who will believe in me because of them. He is praying, guys. This is the only recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire Bible where he is praying for you. You are someone who believed because they believed. You join a long chain of belief that began then, and went on and on and on into the future to this very moment we're sitting here today. You, you are who he was praying for in that moment. So right now, this is his prayer for you. I'm not asking on behalf of these disciples sitting here 2,000 years ago. I'm also acting, asking on behalf of those who will believe in me through their words. And what is Jesus' prayer? that they may be one. That they may be one. Not that they will avoid car accidents, not that they will become wealthy, not that their teeth will be perfect and their children will be adorable and never rebel in their teenage years and not all the stuff we routinely pray for all the time. Oh God, help me with this. Oh God, help me with that. And if we're generous, oh God, help my friend with this or that. That's not what he's praying for you for. He's praying for one thing, that we will be one. And in the, another part of the prayer, he says, I'm praying against the evil one in their lives, that I, and I'm praying that they will be one. In other words, the principal modus operandi of the devil is disunity. And there's Jesus praying that we would have unity. I asked him one time, 25 years ago, I remember the moment. I was grieved because we weren't seeing the greater works. Has has that ever bugged you? Greater works you will do? It got under my skin and it was making me mad. I was coming back from a pastor's meeting in the country where we were doing a unity thing in the city, which was amazing, actually. And um, it was just getting going, but it hadn't reached its peak. And I was bummed. The rain was coming. Windshield wipers were going back and forth. I can remember the moment perfectly. I said, God, how come? Where's the greater works? You promised greater works. You promised greater works. Why aren't we seeing them? And he spoke to me and he said, because. He said, the greater works depend on the fulfillment of my prayer. I said, what prayer? And he said, John 17. Unity. He said, you're going to see the greater works when that prayer is fulfilled. You're not going to see it without that. Because it's his nature. Why should we ask for the fruit of his nature in our lives when we don't reflect his nature in our relationships? Hello? (laughs) Yes. Yes. What right do we have for the fruit of his nature in our lives if we will not reflect his nature in our relationships because he is a relationship? Come on. It only makes sense. What right do we have? He says, you'll see the greater works when this is fulfilled. So why don't we just make it our purpose to love our socks off, to love people who don't deserve it, me and you, you and particularly Francisco. Francisco is the litmus test of my holiness. Jesus says, I have a challenge for you, Mark. I want you to love Francisco. I said, Pardon? I tease them all the time. I love to tease Francisco. It's really fun. I'm saying the truth. Don't accuse me of saying the truth when I'm saying something nasty about you. They already know it's the truth. <laughs> Don't need me to tell them that. <laughs> that they may be one as we are one. As you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us, so that, so that, the world may believe that you have sent me. The very message of Jesus to the world is linked to how we love one another. It is. That's serious stuff, man. Now this, this, this all of a sudden, just, just realizing that one thing, our mission, on our reconciliatory mission on earth To reveal Jesus Christ to the world is entirely dependent on how we love one another. This means we don't get to be fussy about it. Like, I don't want to. God goes, so what? Just do it. I can't. It's really hard. I don't care. Just do it. Get over it. Because God is a relationship of love, He is seen in our relationships of love. It's so logical. He's connected us so we'll live the same kind of love that exists between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Okay, is this just Him getting His way or is there a win-win in this? What do I always say about God? He's a win-win God. He's a win-win God. You got to get used to this. Every bad thing in your life, view it through the lens of his love. What are you going to do through this? I know it's going to be good. I don't know how you're going to do it. That's the miraculous side of it because it makes no sense to me. But somehow in this colossal mess with the pain and everything else, you are going to do something good for me. He told me that about two weeks ago regarding the problem I'm facing. He said, I want you from now on, whenever you think about that problem, see it through the lens of my love for you. I thought, ooh, that's going to be hard. But I've been doing it, and guess what? It changes my attitude and it changes my perception of what's going on, and I have more peace than I had before. See it through the lens of my love, he says. He has connected us so that we may experience the fullness of his love. You will not experience the fullness of his love without your brothers and sisters. And here's the proof text, and this one is shocking. Absolutely shocking. 1 John 4 12. No one has ever seen God if uh oh. We got to take the ifs out of the Bible. I mean, they're just messing up our life. If we love one another. If we love one another. Okay, here's the problem. First part of the verse. No one has ever seen God. That's a problem. We're in the God-selling business. Our product is God. And He's invisible. How do you sell Him? Show me your God. Ooh oh, well, he's kind of big, but then at times he's kind of small. He fills the universe, but he lives in my heart. Um, um, It's tough. Uh, I don't know how exactly. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, Come to my small, small group. I want you to see how we love one another. Then you'll see God. No one has ever seen God is the problem, the solution. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Now this poses a real serious problem, theological problem, because it's making, it's making God living in us, conditional upon us loving one another. Does this mean when my love fails... That I'm not saved anymore and I'm not going to heaven. That's kind of one way you could read it. The key to understanding it is the verse is the word uh, "lives." See, if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is perfected in us. But here's what the word "lives" means. It, it, it usually describes in the Bible this particular Greek word, a temporary state, okay? It really means remains or stays or keeps on going. So let's read it this way. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains. He stays. He keeps on living in us, between us, in our relationships. And His love is perfected in us, which means complete and full. Conclusion on this? As you love one another, God lives in that relationship between you. And he makes the experience of his love full and complete. E.g., in other words, if you're not loving one another, it doesn't mean he loves you less, it means you experience less of his love. It does not conditional. You don't lose your salvation because you're not loving. You lose the experience of the joy of your salvation if you're not loving. You lose the experience of his love if you're not loving. And is that not fair? Don't doesn't it strike you as fair that he set it up that way? Guys When you became a Christian, you were not a very nice person. I'm thinking of me. You were a manipulative, crafty, self-centered little weasel. They used to call me the weasel. My circle of friends in Canada called me the weasel. And I earned it. And I was even proud of it. That's how bad it was. When I came to Christ, I was at my absolute worst and he chose to accept me and love me anyway. And then the Bible says, accept one another the way Christ accepted you. For me, that was convicting. That means to accept others like Christ accepted me, I've got to go find the worst sleaze bag I can find and love him. Because that's as close as I can get to that verse. Doesn't leave a lot of room for rejecting people when you were the principal chief sinner and you were super convicted of how rotten you are and God came in and chose to love you anyway and loved you into wholeness and then he goes and says, I'd like you to love other people like I just loved you. Doesn't give you a lot of room for weaseling out of the deal. (laughs) Only it wasn't transactional, it wasn't a deal, it was a gift. And that makes it even worse because then you feel like a real schmuck if you don't go love somebody else. When you were given a free gift, you didn't even get a right to earn it so you can't take credit for it. So you're kind of, uh, I guess I should go love somebody because look how he loved me. You're stuck. It's not easy. You see what I'm saying? You want more of God's love? Go love somebody. You want more blessings? Go bless somebody. You want his peace? Make somebody else's problem bigger than your own. Embrace somebody else's pain more than your own. And you're going to find the peace comes because you got out of yourself. You saw the world through somebody else's eyes, somebody else's experiences. And you found out how truly hard it is for somebody else. It breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. broke his before it broke yours. Their suffering broke his before it broke yours. It only breaks yours because you're feeling something of what he feels for them. You want more of the experience of his love? Love. Thirdly, why has He connectedness, connected us to this depth and this degree for our own safety and protection? First Peter five eight, discipline yourselves, keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. You've seen the you've seen the films you've seen the footage which little antelope dies the one that straggled off by himself and didn't stay with the herd and he just gets it. those are horrible videos to watch you're rooting for that little guy but the idiot went off by himself thought it was such a beautiful sunny day at the watering hole I'll just kind of wander over there not drink with these guys I'm bored with those guys I know all their faults. They're annoying. I'll just, be, I'll just be by myself and enjoy myself for a while. And along comes three or four lions and they circle around him and before you know it, he's torn to pieces. That's how it works. They don't go after, the lions don't go after the herd, they go after the one that wanders off. Listen to this. This is guys, this is really incredible. It's scary. 1 Corinthians 11:18. Now, Paul's chastising the Corinthian church for how they do the love feast. How they do the meal, the common meal they share together. It wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't a little pretend cup of wine and a little dried out wafer. Man, if that's how our God celebrates, I'm not interested. Like if you get to heaven and we have the great feast and we're all, I can't wait for the buffet. I mean, the buffet table in heaven that goes on for 50 or 60 yards, you know, heaped with every kind of meat. Yes, girls, meat, red meat. Yes, yes, yes. Sure, there's a vegetable section. Sure, there is at the end of the line. Yeah, you know, you, the, big, the feast in heaven is not going to be a dried up little wafer and a little cup of pretend wine, okay? It's going to be a party. It'll be like Phil's cooking, only supernatural, which is redundant. Phil's cooking is supernatural. It is. It is. I, you are feeling the love because I intend getting some ribs off of you at one point <laughs> soon in the future for that compliment I just gave you. It is a transactional world we live in, Phil. I gave, you, I, I, I gave you some props. Now you've got to come across with the ribs. All right. So they got this love feast. Love feast my butt. Come on. The rich people bring the best food and they sit around and eat it and the poor people sit at a distance and go... Oh, man, I wish I had one of those ribs, Phil. I wish I had one of those Phil's ribs. But he's eating them all himself, a pig. They come together, Paul says, look, to begin with, you don't ever want an apostle saying to begin with, with you? It's not a good sign. It means bad is coming, but there's a whole lot more coming right after the first bad. To begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear... Now, what's the thing that grieves Paul the most about what's going on? I hear that there's division amongst you. Now, isn't that just Jesus' comment all over again? To begin with, you guys got a serious problem. Division. 11.21. For when the time comes to eat the feast, each of you goes ahead with what you brought for yourself. And one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. Guess it wasn't pretend wine, was it? Guess it was real wine they used. Ooh. Any Baptists in the house? (laughs) Anybody getting, like, desperately creeped out with the alcohol reference? You know, he was a winemaker, Some of you are eating too much and the others are getting drunk. And for all who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, without recognizing your spiritual connectedness in Jesus, you've failed to recognize your one body, you've failed to recognize the degree of your connectedness, and you're acting out of this separateness, and you're putting yourself again ahead of everybody else, And for this reason, oh man, this is so scary. You are drinking judgment against yourself. 11:30. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have actually died. Loving one another keeps us safe, it is our protection. It is the wall around us. they failed to recognize the family of brothers and sisters. they failed to recognize their connectedness. And many of them are sick and some have even died. It's for our own protection that he gives us one another and allows us to have that kind of community and love for one another that our prayers might save somebody else's life. And somebody else's prayers might save mine. Which brings us to the application of the message. Connect groups. Why bother? <laughs> the prosecution rests its case. Quit with the laughing. This is serious business. (laughs) I didn't get up here to make jokes, although I'm enjoying every minute of it. (laughs) Okay, connect groups. Why bother? The kind of relationships that accomplish these purposes, revealing the nature of God to the world, making complete the experience of God's love in us and through us and to us, and keeping us safe from the attacks of our spiritual enemy. These kinds of relationships... This kind of connectedness does not happen in casual, superficial contact. It does not happen by casual, superficial contact on Sunday mornings. I love seeing you guys here. When you're not here, any of you aren't here, I notice it. And it makes me kind of sad. But that's not what accomplishes these purposes that God intends for us. Sunday morning alone is not going to do it. Jesus came up with a small group when he decided to train his disciples. No one has come up with anything better since. We share life together. We share life together. We're spiritually connected. We rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. We get to know each other's weaknesses and we end up loving each other despite them. That's really the heart of the matter. We get to know one another's weaknesses, but we love one another despite those weaknesses. Is it easy? No. My bank teller told me it's not easy. But right now, she's alone. And I have my connect group. And I have my brothers and sisters. And I'm not alone. And when I'm in trouble, I got somebody to ask, Will you pray for me? And they do. And vice versa. It's not easy. But nothing worth having is easy. So, application. Why don't you check out a connect group? Risk being known. Risk being known. I know what you're thinking. If people really know me, they'll find out what I'm really like and they'll reject me. And that'll be worse than if I hadn't gone. That's what what we all feel. We're afraid of that. Jesus says, risk it. Try it out. Go for it. I'm thinking... Thinking, what's the application to this? Is there something God wants to do right now? Let's just close our eyes for a minute. I want to wait on Him and see if something comes. Yeah. Question. Fellowship, what are you afraid of? Just close your eyes for a minute. I think Holy Spirit wants to ask a question. What's the risk of being known? What's the risk of being known? Beyond the superficial relationships. What's the risk of being known for you? Can you get in touch with the risk? Is there a risk? Is there a fear of being known? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say about that fear? Father, what do you want to say? Jesus, what do you want to say? I ask you to speak to that fear right now. What's your answer to that fear, Lord? What do you want to say to us, Lord, about this? to convict us. And then this is not in a harsh way, just convict us of the wisdom of something or to do something. Holy Spirit, for every single person here, I pray you would convict us of our need for one another and our need for fellowship. And I pray that you would reveal to us connect group to be a part of. Before we leave, Lord, I ask you to convict us whether or not this is something we need and what we should do about it. In our online bulletin, we've got the, all the connect groups identified, what they're about, and uh, I think it's time to join one, and the, the reason I'm saying that, for every reason I've just said, but, but here's the one that worries me the most, being really blunt with you. My belief is that we're in for terrible times. I believe we're going to see trouble in this country we've never seen before. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's a Bible verse. I wish I could tell you the address. Can't, I can't remember, but it goes like this. Seek him while he can be found. Seek him while he can be found. This implies something it implies that there will be a time when it's hard to find Him. Not because He's changed or mad at you or something. It's just going to be your circumstances will be sufficiently hard that it makes finding Him hard because you didn't find out how to find Him when it was easier. Do you understand? This has two... Listen to me. I believe this is prophetic. This has two applications in our life. The first is finding Him. We must develop a time with Him daily where we spend some time in stillness being in his presence and coming to recognize his voice and receive the touch of his love. When things get really hard, we are going to have to have a strong, established relationship with him that is functional and practical and daily because when the storm comes, you will be gripping to him. He's the rock. He's the anchor. He's the only strong tower. And we have to practice coming to him and knowing how to find his presence and knowing how to enter into his presence because that will be the only source of peace. Okay? Number two, because he is a relationship, he is not going to do all that on his own for you. He has designed it so that a good portion of who he wants to be will come through other people. So survival doesn't just mean being able to come into his peace in a one-on-one relationship with him. It also means to find your place in connectedness into your brothers and sisters in a regular way. So that when you were in trouble, you have a place to go to, to say, I am falling apart right now. I am in a state of anxiety I've never experienced before. I can hardly sleep. My life is coming apart and I don't know what to do and I need help. Will you please stand with me in this and will you pray for me? And when we do that, he comes in a way that is that is different from how he comes one-on-one. He. We cannot survive only on our relationship with him for he has designed the kingdom to be relational. Therefore, he mediates himself through other people as often as he mediates himself directly. So your relationships are a matter of survival and things are going to get worse. And if we're going to make it, we're going to make it together. Okay? Do you get this? And I believe what I just said with 100% of my heart. It is not manipulation. I'm trying to get you guys to a place where you will be safe. It's pure wisdom. That's all it is. Just smart. So let's do it. Okay. All right, guys. We don't. I'm sorry. But we don't have time to do anything else. It's. We're always five. We're already five minutes over time. But we will do this. Francisco has a cool story to tell, a good testimony. And Gary and Kathy, it's on their heart that people find a connect group today, that you make a decision. So come and talk to them about it. And and I'll pray for you too, for the courage, whatever it takes, to go deeper in this. We've just got to make it a, a big deal. Okay? Now, love somebody on the way out. That's my friend Marty from Fremont, California. Marty, why don't you stand up? Marty's pastoring the church up there that Shelly and I work with. And uh, she's visiting this weekend. So give her a little love on the way out. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we have the room for a little bit extra time today. So if you want to continue to worship with us, you certainly can. Um, But definitely sign up for Connect Group before you leave today. And... Really cool thing is you don't have to take the chairs down. We can leave them set up. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle. Bless you. We are His portion, yeah. We are His portion, and He is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in His eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all seeking. So heaven meets her like a sloppy wet kiss in my heart inside of my chest I don't have the time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way